You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of The Redemption of Thinking by Rudolf Steiner. This is Appendix 6, entitled The Mystery Centers, see page 141. Uh, all these appendices are by A.P. Shepard and uh, Mildred Robertson Nicole. This is the last appendix and the end of the book. Rudolf Steiner's teaching on the ancient mystery centers is integral to his whole conception of the evolution of man's consciousness. He believed that without an understanding of their significance in the religious and cultural life of mankind, a purely superficial knowledge of historic events is gained. He described the centers as institutions combining the functions of church and school, where the connection of man with the spiritual world was fostered and teachings of primeval wisdom were preserved. It is well known that the secrets of the mystery centers were closely guarded and might not be divulged by hierophant or pupil, and all that has come down to us by way of written records affords very little direct information. There have been many speculations, but Steiner's special supersensible gifts enabled him to open up the secrets of these centers in a very remarkable way. In this brief note, mere indications can be given of the wealth and depth of his knowledge on this subject but a glimpse may be afforded of the illumination it lends to obscurities in such records as we have, and to the study of man's constantly changing relationships to the spiritual world. It also makes more clear the motives underlying the actions of certain outstanding figures of the past. With his perception that man has evolved through many stages from a state of unself-conscious awareness of the spiritual world to an ego-conscious awareness of the physical world, Steiner saw in the mysteries the origin of human religion. At first, the divine guidance of mankind and later its guidance by human beings of the highest spiritual endowment. These leaders had attained their supersensible vision and understanding and had, in many cases, acquired a state of consciousness in advance of their fellows and were thus able to anticipate the future stage in the evolution of the normal human consciousness. These great initiates, who were both priests and tutors, were able throughout the ages to impart secretly to other men, chosen and prepared, their spiritual knowledge and experience. Therefore, behind the ordinary religious, social and cultural life of the times, there existed a richly developed life of a higher religious quality, that poured its subtle influences into the outer world when it so desired. The centers were widely scattered and differed widely in their methods of instruction and in their goals. They were adapted to the needs of the varying evolutionary conditions of man's body, soul, and spirit. The hierophants gained from different aspects an understanding of the laws of the supersensible world and its cooperation with the sensible world. The power they were thus enabled to wield was vast, and if used without a strongly established ethical basis, extremely dangerous. Hence the secrecy that enshrouded the mysteries 
and the universal teaching that a man must be ripe before he can be entrusted with higher knowledge. Footnote C. St. Mark 4.10-12 This condition of ripeness involved a long training in which the postulant, through severe exercises, tests and experiences, became changed and his human nature elevated and ennobled. Latent forces were awakened in him, and having reached a state of maturity, he was able to receive the higher truths concerning the universe, earth, and man, and eventually to arise to consciousness of the divine cosmic intelligences. The moral basis was not always sufficiently firm. Knowledge was sometimes betrayed and misused, and as a result calamities befell, individual, racial, and cosmic, and certain centers became corrupt. Others, however, maintained their integrity for a long period, and even in the dawn of the early Christian centuries, though they were then of necessity waning, sent far-reaching currents of beneficent spiritual influence into the sacred and secular life of mankind, both in the East and in the West. The general mood of approach to the mysteries and the ethical principles that underlie the successive changes in consciousness that are entailed in initiation, with the spiritual and psychological preparation given by the Hierophant to his pupil, were described by Steiner in his early books titled Christianity's Mystical Fact and titled An Outline of Occult Science. He knew that in the present century an increasing interest would be taken in the possibilities of changing the normal consciousness, and that scientific investigation would be made in this realm. He invariably emphasized that while methods employed in past ages should be closely studied in relation to man's spiritual and psychological development, they are unsuited, particularly those of the Orient, to Western man today in his search for higher knowledge. In speaking specifically of different mystery centers, he attributed to the Jews a very real and active understanding of esotericism and set the Hebrew mysteries, particularly those of the Essenes, with their high mission of preparation for the mystery of Golgotha, in a place apart. He spoke of them in detail in his course of lectures on the Gospel of St. Matthew and referred to them on many other occasions. These lectures have become of first importance since among the scrolls recently found near the Dead Sea are some believed to emanate from the sect of the Essenes. Steiner also gave a series of lectures on the Aloysinian, the Ephesian, the Samothracian, and the Hibernian mysteries, and distinguished very clearly their aims and methods and the aspects of knowledge they reveal. His explanation of the Aloysinian mysteries is of great interest in connection with Plato and Aristotle and provides a clue to many perplexities found in Aristotle's works. <clears throat> he believed it impossible to understand Plato without seeing him against the background of the mysteries, and traced, in a very living way, the source of inspiration lying behind much of the thought of Aristotle to Eloysis. He considered that Plato foresaw the coming transition toward abstract thought and the change that would take place in the methods of acquiring knowledge. For this reason, he followed a deliberate policy in his relationship with Aristotle, withdrawing himself from him toward the close of his life, after having imparted to him as to one endowed with peculiar intellectual gifts an extract from the wisdom of the ancient mysteries 
which it would be his task to pass on to the world clothed in the forms of thought adapted to the coming age. Footnotes, lecture 2, page 66, end of footnote. Within this, quote-unquote, extract was included much from the natural science of Eloysius, that magnificent natural science which, quote, reached up into the heavens and extended right out into cosmic spaces, close quote. The natural science in these mysteries contained a great deal that had been carried into them from the chthonic or underworld mysteries, which had a special knowledge of the nature processes of the earth, particularly of the mineral world and of its cosmic and human relationships. It was not taught as it would be taught today, for, quote, it was not an appeal to the human intellect or to the outer powers of human observation. What we today regard as knowledge played no important role in those days, even in the time of Aristotle. If the historians of the different sciences today wish to write a history of their own scientific thinking, they should really begin with Copernicus or Galileo, because when they go back beyond this in time, what they have to say is really not adequate, and if they then approach Greek knowledge, what they have to give is purest fantasy. What they do is simply, in a sense, to project the present back into the earliest times, but it is no reality that they describe. Even at the time of Aristotle, even by Aristotle himself, such teachings, as were taken seriously, were so given as to involve a complete transformation of human nature. They appealed not only to human thought and observation, as today, but to the whole of human life. Man had to become a different being through knowledge, a being quite different from what he was without it. The essential point in these mysteries was that man, through the knowledge he acquired therein, had to become a different being from what he was before. Footnote, Rudolf Steiner from the Mystery Centers, and a footnote. Well, that's a quote. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Darn it. That was a long quote by Rudolf Steiner. <laughs> Thus it was necessary for man to become different in order to receive knowledge. And with its reception he again experienced a further change. A constant metamorphosis in being and consciousness took place. Aristotle himself spoke of the fact that, quote, those who are being initiated are not required to grasp anything with the understanding, but to have a certain inner experience, and so to be put into a particular frame of mind, presuming that they are capable of this frame of mind in the first place. Close quote, footnote, Werner Jaeger, in giving this quotation in his book titled Aristotle, describes it as an, quote, epoch-making discovery in connection with the mystery religions, close quote. How often, he writes, do Plato and the early Aristotle borrow their the mystery religions language and symbols to give color and form to their own new religious feeling? It is impossible to estimate the influence of these ideas on the Hellenistic world and on the spiritual religion that was in process of formulation, pages 160 to 161 in the footnote. The teaching of Aristotle on natural science was carried into Asia and Egypt by the conquests of his pupil Alexander, and in course of time was studied in the many academies founded as a result of Alexander's influence, notably in the academy of Gundishapur. The principle of initiation continued to be followed by many until the end of the third century of the Christian era. The new impulse that Christianity brought into the world did not immediately sever the connections with the past, nor did it arise without long preparation. 
even as Augustine believed that there were Christians before Christ and Clement of Alexandria that Greek philosophy had prepared quote, the royal road for the gospel, close quote, so Steiner declared that in certain of the mysteries, particularly the Hibernian, there was foreknowledge of the incarnation of Christ. He regarded these mysteries as preparatory stages on the way toward the supreme mystery, that mystery of Golgotha which was enacted before the eyes of all men and brought with it the possibility of a direct approach to the divine without the intervention of any other being save Christ himself, the divine Hierophant. Footnote, see St. Matthew, uh, maybe it's chapter 11, uh, verse 27, end of footnote. The transition from the ancient mysteries to the new was marked by misconceptions that arose both within the Christian church and outside it. For the first three centuries, the spiritual conception of man as taught in the mysteries was present both in secular thought and in the church. But with the acceptance of Christianity as the state religion of the empire in the fourth century, and with the demand for a uniform and clearly defined theology, the attitude of the Western Church became hostile to any form of esotericism. The conception of man as a threefold being of body, soul, and spirit gradually faded, and the dualism of body and soul took its place. Two great churchmen of the second century displayed wise understanding of the relation of Christianity to the ancient mysteries. These were Clement of Alexandria, who had been an initiate of the Eloicinian mysteries before he became a Christian, and his successor in the catechetical school of Alexandria, Origen. Both had, quote, that sure conviction of the spirit that is founded on direct consciousness of it, and which was expressed everywhere in the mysteries, close quote. Footnote, Rudolf Steiner, title, Building Stones Toward an Understanding of the Mystery of Golgotha, end of footnote. In a curious passage in his works, Clement likens the stages of his Christian, quote, via negativa, close quote, to the stages of the mysteries. Footnote from Stromata, end of footnote. In spite of the official reaction against esotericism, an undercurrent flowed on and the Hibernian mysteries, which were less concerned with the physical world than with the Greek, were still active two thousand years ago, and for several centuries after this their wisdom echoed in the Irish schools. Pupils from these schools traveled to the continent and spread their spiritual teachings far abroad. Such a one was John Scotus Origina, and it was in accord with the temper of the Hibernian mysteries that he should be the chief instrument in bringing the works of Dionysus the Areopagite to the Western world. These teachings emanate traditionally from the disciple of St. Paul. Dr. E. O. James has remarked, quote, that Christianity shared with other mystery religions this conception of initiation is clear from the Pauline literature. Thus in Romans 6 it is stated that the catechumen was baptized into the death of Christ and buried with him in a regenerative bath from which the candidate emerged, reborn, as from the grave, to a higher order of spiritual experience. Henceforth he lived under conditions different from those which constituted his former existence. Through a mystical, sacramental union with Christ, the flesh had been freed from the law of sin and death and animated by a new life principle so that he walked not after the flesh, but after the spirit, Romans 8.4, as a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. The end of the last appendix.
and the end of the book, The Redemption of Thinking by Rudolf Steiner.